All right, today I welcome Lynn Grosso, Charles Hedman, and Willis Weatherford to the podcast. Welcome, everybody. Hey. Good to be here. Thanks for having us. All right. I was wondering how that was going to work out. Whenever you have more than one, it's like, okay, who's going to say first and how are we going to interrupt each other? Which, Lynn, I got your name Grosso right this time. I think I said Grasso last time. Yes. Grosso. Yeah, it was perfect. Yeah. Okay, good, good. So look, let's go ahead and do some introductions uh, for our listeners. Let's go Lynn, Charles, and Willis. Uh, we'll go in that order. Just uh, where you're from, uh, where you're serving, and uh, any other details you want to throw in there. I'm Lynn Grosso. I am at Westminster Reformed Presbyterian Church that I lovingly call Westman um, in Suffolk, Virginia. I've been here for about four and a half years, and um, it's about 42 degrees right now. Mm. I thought nice. that was relevant. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. That's, that's relevant. <laughs> yeah. Charles. I'm looking up the weather now. Uh, it's 45 <laughs> here. Uh, we're, I'm in Washington, <laughs> Washington DC. Uh, yeah, it's sunny outside here. Um, there's not much going on in Washington, DC, right? Nothing, nothing at all that's going on. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm one of the pastors. I'm an associate pastor at the Capitol Hill Baptist Church. Uh, here we are literally five blocks away from the Capitol building. Um, right here on Capitol Hill. So um, uh, yeah, I've been here for almost seven years. Uh, I am married uh, for about 15 years and I uh, have two kids, nine and three. All right, Willis. Yes, so my name is Willis Weatherford. Uh, I'm an assistant pastor here in Houston, Texas um, at Christ the King Presbyterian Church. And it is 72 degrees here. So my nobody cares what it's like in Texas. Nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, I've been here for a little over two years. I'm married uh, to my awesome wife, Mary, who is pregnant and due in like a week. So I may have to hop off early here. Uh, <laughs> but we also have two, two and a half year olds, twins, um, who are super fun. And for fun, I like to run long distances very slowly. Mm. All right. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, 62 in Mississippi, by the way. Um, I just I had to throw that in. It was in the 40s, I think, this morning. And uh, so now it's 62. But, yeah, I've got to say, Willis jumped on uh, fairly last minute. I was, I was planning on having him uh, come on in another youth panel uh, that we're going to be doing. But, obviously, with baby number three coming, I wanted to try to, to get him on uh, before – some more chaos comes to your house. Uh, not that having twins is not chaotic enough, but uh, introducing a third. Um, so look, thank you all for, for making time. Uh, I know you all have, have plenty of other things going on. Um, we're continuing our discussion of teens and technology in this eighth season. If this is your first time tuning in, you can go back and check out the other uh, episodes. We're trying to hit this from a lot of different angles, uh, and we hope that it's, it's helpful to each of you and your various uh, church contexts and help you to, to think through this, this issue of teens and technology. Oftentimes we end up kind of zeroing in on, on social media, but there's a lot more uh, that we can be uh, discussing. And let me just kind of say from the outset, oftentimes we do kind of look at the negative on this podcast, that there are some positives we want to acknowledge, um, even though, you, you know, again, this is, I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour, so we don't have time to talk about absolutely everything. So we'll just bash social media for the most part on this podcast. But now, I say that in jest, and I also want to say I heard about an article uh, recently entitled Social Media Isn't All Bad. Uh, it's written by Chris Martin, not the lead singer of Coldplay, another Chris Martin. 
and it's on his uh, blog terms of service. So I want to point people to that blog that can be helpful again to, to hear helpful ways in which we can utilize social media and how it can even be a good thing. Um, so look, uh, let's just start off asking, uh, how many of you, your youth are on social media? Um, as we begin to kind of get into utilizing it in our youth ministries, I'd love to hear just kind of an approximation of, of, you know, percentage of your youth that are on social media. Part of the reason I bring this up, Linda Oliver, who was on the first episode of this season, I think that was episode 314. She mentioned that it was about half and half, uh, her junior high girls. And I thought that was kind of surprising. I thought uh, that would be a little bit larger, but she says, you know, there's half of her students that are on social media, half that aren't. And so sometimes it's hard for her to have some conversations about this because she feels like uh, she's just kind of ostracizing one group when she addresses it or uses applications. So maybe go around, um, Lynn, Charles, Willis, how much of your youth group are, are using social media? We have a large homeschool community here. And I think that also plays into what our numbers are because I would be similar to Linda as well. With Instagram and Snapchat, we're probably about half and half. With Facebook, I think less than 33% of our, which is a ridiculous number to give, but less than 33% of our um, kids probably have a Facebook. I don't even know if most of their parents have a Facebook, but we're about half and half with um, Snapchat and Instagram. All right, Charles. Yeah, we're, we're very much the same. We've got a lot of homeschooled kids. Uh, we're at a conservative church. Uh, so I think it's probably about half. I'd say those who are ninth grade and above, um, I would say a large majority of them, above 75%, probably are on multiple platforms. There's going to be there's gonna be 30 or 40%, uh, typically the guys who are on like every platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I've noticed about the younger kids, sixth, seventh, even eighth graders, uh, they are not often... They only, sometimes they don't even have the phone, let alone uh, uh, have access to such things, but they may be on Facebook only. Uh, it's very limited if they are involved with anything. It's something about, about the high school age where everything kind of just tricks up, um, uh, escalates up and they're able to uh, either have a phone or have more access. Um, so I'm probably, probably what Lynn said there, probably about 50-50. Um, certainly as the, as the age increases, uh, not only the... Uh, access increases, but the number of apps that they get access to also increases. All right. And, and let me too, just, just follow up as well, because we had Scott Sauls on um, several weeks ago, and there was a time where he lived in New York City, and he just said, you know, it was more common in a city like New York for younger children to have some kind of phone, not necessarily a smartphone. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of the case in D.C. as well? Would you see younger children are kind of getting devices in the D.C. area? Yeah, part of it is because uh, so many of our kids, they take the metro to school uh, if they're in public schools and so forth. So if, if, if we have a student that's in public school, they'll have a phone, they'll be on everything. Hmm. Uh, if, they're, if they're homeschooled, they likely will not until maybe 10th, 11th grade. So it really, it's really dependent upon what type of school that they're in. Do they need a, a phone just for safety purposes here in the city? Um, a lot of different dynamics, but it's basically a public, private, public homeschool type of uh, division that I've, okay. that I've seen. Interesting. Well, Willis, what about with you? Yeah, most of our uh, most of our students are getting a phone in seventh or eighth grade. Um, so anything beyond seventh and eighth grade, I'd say most of them are on social media and have their own phone. Younger than that, a lot of them have an iPad, um, and so so have a lot of access to Roblox and just other random stuff through that. Um, yeah. Okay, and so too, I'm curious um, the the 
most popular social media platforms your your students are using? Um, are we going to say TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat? Would those be the three most popular? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, for sure. Okay. I was going to say, if y'all didn't say anything, everybody's nodding um, and our listeners can't see that. But um, any other uh, platforms that are kind of growing in popularity or even maybe some obscure ones that, that students, it seems like uh, my mind's going blank. Uh, Discord. I've heard some students mm-hmm. using Discord and have y'all heard of that one, but other platforms to kind of throw up there. The, the Discord, I, what I've understood is for the uh, technology geeks kind of types, uh, which that uh, group has grown apparently since mm-hmm. I was in, in high school. Uh, and so there's uh, that's been very popular. Uh, group me, uh, mm-hmm. group me seems to be a very popular at any type of those type of chat rooms that uh, where mm-hmm. the kids can, can speak with one another and in smaller groups that seems to be picking up in popularity as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, with um, some of our students too, the like gaming platforms that they can chat back and forth on that. I don't know if there's a specific one, but a lot of them will say that they use those chat rooms that they have, like, you know, the online games that they'll be using those to talk with friends um, or make friends. But I don't know what a specific one would be. Mm. And, and curious too, I know for a while there, the kind of anonymous platforms like Ask FM, Confide. Um, I know there, uh, I think Whisper might've been one as well. Are any of students using kind of anonymous platforms that y'all are aware of? Any I'll say probably, but I'm not aware. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and to me, I, I mean, those cause some of the greatest concern uh, for, for me. I mean, I know there, there have been suicides that have been linked to some of these. And, you know, I, I just think, Theologically, as we think of communication, as we think of God being the creator of, of words, of speech, of communication, and how we need to be communicating where we're looking at each other face to face, the further we get away from that, the more dangerous it becomes. And so to remove any kind of name, face from what we speak is is dangerous. And so I just think that's something we need to be aware of as youth workers and, and really maybe even have those conversations with our students to, to find out and try to encourage them to, to get away uh, from that. Um, a, a question I want to ask each of you is just one of, of boundaries. Um, and have you set up any boundaries in your youth programs or retreats? I mean, I was actually the time of this recording last night, um, I was volunteering with our, our youth group. I've tried to, those who listen may know I was on staff at this church in the youth ministry for over 12 years and have transitioned off to, to take this role with, with RYM. And so I've tried to not be involved at all, just to kind of allow some transition to take place, but they needed some volunteers. And so obviously when I show up, one, my daughter's in the youth groups, I try to stay back behind the scenes. I don't embarrass her, Um, but also kind of observe and just kind of watch students. And yeah, you know, I can't help but be the kind of grumpy old guy to see a bunch of youth just sitting down, staring at their devices. So I'd love to hear how y'all try to to deal with that. Um, And if y'all have any boundaries in place, uh, who wants to start us off? Y'all can raise hands and I'll I'll call on you on that boundaries. Okay, I saw Willis is first. You can go first. Yeah, so it was pretty organic for us. I mean, typically on a middle school trip, we will um, let parents know and we'll collect phones at the beginning and really don't give it back until we get back to the church um, or sometimes like on the way home so they can call their parents. Um, and we haven't had any real pushback on that except for you know occasionally a student will have some kind of a health thing going on and they'll need to you know have their phone with them for that um high school it's more of like a encouraging students to 
not be on their phone all the time and calling them out if we see it. Um, but trying to give them a little bit more of the responsibility like that they're going to have in college like to manage their technology use wisely. Um, and then like a couple nights ago, we had um, a dinner outside of my house and I just took like one of those big pizza peels, like a giant wooden spatula. I was like, all right, put the phone on it, put the phone on it. And they all stuck their phones on there. And, you know, it's kind of goofy, but like they didn't have their phones for the rest of the meal. And the conversation was great, you know, which doesn't always happen just because you take the phones away. But um, it probably would have been worse if they had had their phones. So just stuff like that. Yeah. And, and I'd love to know, did, were they reluctant to put their, their phone on the pizza peel? Were they whining about it? Were they kind of giving you a hard time or were they fairly... A few of them were reluctant and like, I'm, I was like, I'm standing right here. Like I can see that you have your phone. Like I'm not going <laughs> to go away and just let you keep your phone. So yeah, we got them all in the end. <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, Charles, what about you? Any, any boundaries, any things you have in place? Yeah, we've done different things with different seasons. Uh, so I've been in the youth ministry about, oh goodness, 15 years. Um, and the trajectory is that more and more, obviously more and more and more usage of it is happening. Uh, and more and more times when they're not supposed to be using it, they, they are using it. So um, I, I used to have an approach like Willis had, uh, where it was kind of laissez-faire. If it's a problem, we're going to take it or talk to you about it. Um, this last, these last couple of years, as uh, we have a, we've had a, um, a, a, our numbers have changed. Uh, some of the kids who were younger became older, particularly some of the guys, and they have had uh, just issues with phones. We've actually incorporated a policy. When you walk into youth group, you give us your phone or you put it away. We don't see it. If, if you do, if we do see it, we take it away. Um, and that, that has actually helped. It was, it was met with, as you can expect, uh, much frustration and anger uh, by some, uh, but uh, they actually learned through that, I, I believe, in speaking with them, that the importance of not having that distraction during our times of teaching. Uh, it also allows them to actually have conversations with other kids as well. Uh, it's so funny when you walk into these groups of kids uh, that know each other, uh, they'll sit there and they'll, they'll text each other rather than talk to each other. And they're six feet away from each other. Uh, and so, and so it's just by taking the device away, it makes them actually have to interact in person with, with human language, spoken language. And uh, it, it, they, they, they actually enjoy it. Uh, and I've had a number of them come up to me and say later, I, I wish my parents would take away my phone, hmm. um, but they don't. And I won't give it to them because I really want it. Hmm. And so I think just to having the freedom from it, as we probably are always experienced as well, when we've, without our phones or without a device, uh, they feel that freedom and they're actually thankful for it, if not immediately, uh, eventually. Yeah, no, that's, that's so good, Charles. And I've heard research that has, has said that, that uh, students can obviously be reluctant when you take it from them, but when they actually have the freedom from it, they do feel the relief and they actually enjoy it. And so that's, that's, yeah, excellent to hear that testimony. And, and it's also important just as you're talking about kind of discipling, students that we, you know, this might seem like something small, but we can be discipling students to um, just converse, to, to know what it means to have a conversation. I mean, it sounds somewhat strange, but, but for younger generations, I mean, that's going to become more and more foreign to them. And I mean, I, I've seen that just as I've grown older, just the difficulty and challenge of uh, talking to students. And of course, some of that is because I'm getting old and uh, not, <laughs> that, not, not that Amen. I was ever cool to begin with, but getting less and less cool uh, where they'll want to uh, talk to me. So um, anyway, but I think that's an important kind of discipleship opportunity. Uh, Lynn, yeah. Well, what about with you? 
Right. Okay. Sorry. I was trying to remember what the original question was. Charles was saying, and what you guys were talking about, I read a statistic on Tuesday. I think it was that 54% of teens or students from 10 to 17, 54% of them say that they do spend too much time on their screens. Like they're, especially now with school being virtual. So it is almost that like, and I was like, well, then why don't you just put your phone down? But I think of like Lynn, like, <laughs> yeah, you're really great at self-discipline too. Yeah. You know, like, so it's not <laughs> really just the having somebody take it away. So for us at our youth group, we don't have a mandatory um, the only place where we say no phones allowed are when we split up into our smaller groups, which we call D group discipleship groups, um, at large group, they're allowed to have it. We don't typically have a problem with it. Um, at large group, if it is a problem, then we say something, but it's not something we say, Hey, no phones out. We, you know, when they go into their smaller group, that's when we really hope that they would engage in the conversation. We have in the past had a student who was on the spectrum and we made adjustments for that. Of course, um, she would also respond well if we, if her leader said, Hey, like, why don't you engage with us and, you know, put your phone down. Um, but it was, it was actually really helpful for her to have her device, um, with that, but that's so rare. Um, but yeah, other than that, and at retreats, I mean, in Virginia, we go to Rockbridge, which one of my favorite things about Rockbridge, which there are so many favorite things about Rockbridge, but one of mine is that it's a terrible reception place for cell phones. So it's almost like, oh, awesome. it's not even like, we're not going to tell you that you can't. It's just reception is so bad, you know, but we do tell them um, very similar to what Willis said with our middle school students. Um, a lot of them don't have phones anyways, but it's very simple to say, don't bring your phones. And with our high school students, we do encourage them to say, I mean, you can have your, your phone if you want to, we encourage you not to, but that is a way that you go ahead and get to practice this self-control that you're going to have to exercise in a lot of other areas soon. So, um, mm-hmm. it's very similar to that. Now that that's, yeah. Thinking about the, the poor reception at the retreat center, um, that, that was always such a blessing whenever we'd go and it's just. Uh, you didn't even have to to deal with it. And I will just go ahead and confess there was a time right as uh, devices were kind of growing in popularity and this was becoming a, a new problem. I did look up a radar blocker. Um, I think if that's what it is that. Hey, send that to me. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was it was on Amazon and I want to say it was $50 and it was about the size of a wallet. And I was thinking, you know what? I could just buy that. I can carry it around in my pocket and just wherever I'm walking, it's kind of like a, I can't even remember if it was like a hundred yard radius or something like that. And I was thinking, what if there's an emergency and there's, <laughs> we try to call the you know the ambulance and nobody could show up. So I will say that is out there. Um, I'm not saying uh, you should or should not use that, use it with discernment if you decide to do that. But um, this can become a maddening issue as uh, we all can attest to. I mean, it's such a, a difficult thing. Um, something Cal Newport might be somebody, uh, you all are familiar with. He wrote the book deep work and he also wrote uh, digital minimalism. And I, if I'm remembering correctly, he did a Ted talk, um, years ago and he was encouraging people not to use social media. Um, and he says he basically, as he's talking to people, he just kind of asks, you know, why is social media useful uh, or how is it useful to you? And he says he rarely hears, um, a compelling reason to utilize it. Um, and, and so I'd love for us to, to kind of apply some of that to youth ministry um, of, you know, is there a compelling reason to be use, utilizing social media for youth ministry? We know that there are many uh, valuable ways in which we can utilize it, uh, other ways in which we might uh, give it you know, uh, too much credit for something it's not really doing. So I'd love to just begin by asking simply, how do you utilize social media 
and your youth ministry, or do you utilize social media? Um, Lynn, can we start with you? Is that putting you on the spot? No, that's totally fine. Um, I mean, I've had to answer the question, you know, before, <laughs> how is this useful for your ministry? Um, so I have a Facebook and an Instagram. Those are the only two things I'm on. I don't have a snap. I, for me, I didn't think it was wise, especially when some, you know, like, yeah, the way it can be used. I just didn't think it would be wise. It was also really confusing to me. The same reason I don't have TikTok. I don't, <laughs> I have a student who will send me like the top three TikToks that I should know about. And then that's like good. So I see what's going on. I, I know of the dances, but I don't have to get lost in that myself. Um, so for me, I have an Instagram and it's, not like a, a great tool compared to face, you know, having that face time with them. But for me, especially with girls, um, it is such an insight to what's going on in their life that it is so helpful for me to see what is important to them and uh, what words they would use to describe it if they are using words, how to connect with them. And for girls, I haven't really been able to make a connection with just that little like responding to their Instagram story. I mean, it, it seems so silly for those of us who are older and don't use a lot of social media, but for them, that's how they connect. It's basically like sending a letter in the, in the mail, which I still do. And they also love because that's even more foreign, you know, mm -hmm. Um, but just to send that little thing of like, oh my gosh, that's so crazy. I also love spicy chicken, you know, like something <laughs> like that to, or like, Hey, I'm so sorry that you and your boyfriend broke up, like whatever it was, you know? And um, so I've actually, I think it's a useful tool for girls specifically, um, because those little things can mean so much, especially when we went into lockdown and I couldn't get FaceTime with them, that that was still a way for me to see what's going on in their lives. Um, for better and for worse. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, Lynn, no, that, that's a really good point. I know, too, you've been on this podcast before and you were on with Walt Mueller a while back. And and I think of what Walt Mueller uh, used to say about, and this sounds crazy, he's, he's talked about it uh, kind of publicly, but he, he used to give the advice to youth workers of, you've got to get in a teenager's bedroom to really get to know them. And he said, you know, obviously just the way that sounds now, it sounds so absurd, but he said you would need to see the posters on their walls. You would need to see kind of the, um, I guess, cassette tapes back then, you know, and just get to kind of know them. And so in a sense, you know, social media has, has replaced that. I mean, we, we would, none of us would say, Hey, yeah, you know, go in a teenager's bedroom, obviously, if you're, you know, their parents are allowing you to go in there and you're having conversation, whatever. But this is a way to, to kind of do some of that um, research, if you want to put it that way on the student to just get to know them better and know how to minister to them and, and all that. So that's, that's a good uh, way to utilize that. Willis, do you want to jump in? Yeah, sorry, what's the question again? Yeah. How do you utilize social media in ministry? Oh, yeah. It can be from, you know, just getting to know students that way or communication or, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, we have a Instagram page as a student ministry. Um, I have a Facebook. Um, I kind of manage the Facebook to uh, my other staff manage the Instagram. The Facebook does almost nothing. We connect with some parents that way, but we really don't push it that much. It's more like there i resurrected it during coronavirus like maybe we'll need this uh thinking we might do facebook live or something but we ended up doing zoom for all of our um zoom and youtube for all of our stuff um instagram is more for announcements um, i think we connect with some students that way uh and it's helpful to be able to be in their spaces and see what's going on in their lives and um personally like i have facebook i rarely go on it almost never post 
I have Strava, which is like a nerdy, like running bicycling fitness thing, which is like <laughs> bare bones in terms of actual interaction or social, but it is technically a social media. Um, yeah. And I mean, overall looking at the past year, we would have, we would have lost a lot of ministry opportunities if we hadn't had zoom, iMessage, FaceTime, but I don't think we would have missed that many ministry opportunities if we hadn't had Instagram and Facebook, like the cost there would not have been high for us. Um, but part of the difficulties there's like, you don't know how much of an impact you have really, you know, so it's really a little bit nebulous. Hmm. Yeah. Charles, what, what about you? Are you, you utilizing social media in your youth ministry? How do, how do you utilize it? Yeah. When I was with crew uh, high school, uh, you know, a decade ago, uh, I certainly used it a little bit more, even though it was, you know, back then. Uh, so I follow anybody who's on Twitter, their Facebook, just to get a sense, like, much like Lynn said, uh, just to figure out who these kids were, connect with them if, I, if at all possible at least know what's going on in their hearts a little bit. Because oftentimes what they post will, will indicate what their hearts are, are focused on. And so uh, I, then, I then have a, a follow-up conversation the next time I saw them based upon perhaps like a post that wouldn't prov provoke a conversation necessarily, but it would give me an, an indicator of where to go perhaps in the conversation. Um, since I've been a pastor, uh, I've changed my tactic a little bit. What I've tried to do is allow my volunteers, and we have, a, we have a, a, just a great group of volunteers to connect with the kids. And then those volunteers are the ones mainly following them on these, on these social media platforms if they desire, if the kids are actually on them. Um, and, and that allows our, our volunteers to have that one-on-one -on -one interaction and that one-on-one -on -one relationship that's built, at least again, in the same way I understood the kids better through those means, they understand the kids better through those means. Personally, I don't follow the kids. Uh, I don't try to get near them in that, in that regard. I think that's, that's good for where my position is. Um, it, it also helps them to know, like, look, they can come to me with other things and there's a separation there, I think, which is helpful from a counseling perspective. Um, they can go to their disciplers or to the volunteers in one capacity and they can come to pastor Charles for, for something else. Um, in terms of the youth ministry itself, uh, we, we have a website. Uh, we have some features through that website that are, are never used for one, way, one reason or the other. We do have a group me though. Uh, the group me started was started by the kids, uh, and that was actually a, a really useful way of communicating, you know, logistical things, hearing what there was on their hearts, sending them verses and so forth. Uh, the kids navigated that for a while. Uh, we found it, we found it useful to take it over uh, and monitor it. <laughs> Probably a good uh, move. <laughs> yeah, there, there were some younger kids on there, and some of the older kids didn't have the great discernment. So now that we have uh, editing uh, privileges, it's, it's worked a lot better. But that's a, that's a great tool that we've used to to communicate with the kids in a group fashion, uh, anything between logistics to encouragement through, through passages to, uh, to seeing what's, what's going on in their, in their heads. So, um, you know, when news items hit, they usually blast it on there. Uh, and so we can have a good conversation uh, then over that text messaging type of app. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's our main usage though. Yeah. 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 Lynn, you got a comment? Yeah. I just had another thought um, about why, I think another way it's been useful for me is not just so we can see into our students' lives, but also so that they can see into my life, not, you know, as I'm like, here's like all of my, you know, laundry or whatever, but it helps them to see number one. Yeah. Like what's going on in my life, but also I am the same person when I'm not in front of you. Right. Like I actually really value scripture. And so even when it's not Sunday, I'll post about it or you'll see me, you know, saying praise the lamb, like on another about something else, just to see that there is consistency in my character as well. I, that's one way that it's been 
um, and, and a useful tool for me too. And you're teaching them, Lynn, you're, you're teaching them how to post or what to post about perhaps differently than any of their friends or other people they know, might know are posting. Thanks, Charles. Yeah, that's yeah. encouraging. Yeah, yeah that, that's a great point. I mean, just modeling uh, social media behavior and, and uh, yeah, excellent point. Here's something just kind of follow that up because I mean, there, there is kind of a common theme there of just information and specifically kind of information on our students. And uh, the question I have is, kind of information overload. And I'm thinking, you know, when I was in student ministry and even today, you know, I'm an elder in our church and so we're shepherding people. I can get overwhelmed with the amount of brokenness uh, in our own church and in the world. And there's a sense in which social media is allowing us uh, to have kind of 24 seven access to information on our students and, and kind of what's going on in their life. And and just maybe speak to that a little bit of maybe being overwhelmed. I mean, we, we've talked about uh, social media kind of being an omniscient type thing that we're uh, constantly hearing information and it's kind of too much for us. It, it might just be too overwhelming. And so maybe just speak to that overwhelming nature of hearing all that's going on with your, your students' lives, maybe even personally how you seek to to hear some of that, to know some of that, but then also to kind of step back from that and, and, and know when to kind of get off of social media. Is that resonating with, with any of you? Any kind of comments there? Um, Willis, I see you nodding, so I'm going to call on you. But if you don't want to talk, you don't have to. No, my nodding was an accurate depiction of my internal state. Yeah. Hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think, I guess my thoughts are, I am not having the problem of like lacking pastoral issues with my students that are brought up either by the students themselves or by their parents or just by the crazy world we live in and all the current events that I know need to be, they need help interpreting those and, and thinking about those and responding to those. So, um, you know, I think some of that is, you know, it's not cause I'm awesome. It's just like when you walk with students for a while, you get a little bit embedded in their lives, you know? Um, and so it, I think that could be maybe appropriate for someone who's just starting into a new position to kind of see what their students are talking about and kind of have a kickstart in that way. Um, and there's probably some things that I could learn about. I mean, I, I can think of really significant things that happened in some of our local schools on social media that I didn't find out about until later. And it would have been cool to be in that loop earlier, you know? Um, I guess the, being aware of that though at this point isn't making me think I need to be in tune with my students specifically by being on social media and watching them in that space. Um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Charles Lynn, any, uh, any comment there? The only thing that I, uh, that I can think about, which um, I was going to get into when we talk about later with parents helping their students is something that um, can be really tricky for um, our youth pastor, John, so my boss to navigate as well as like when specifically girls post certain photos, it's like, wait a minute, they, do they know that I can see what's, go <laughs> what's going on here? So almost like, almost like getting into their bedroom, right? Like this is hmm. too, too personal. Um, so there's that one way that information can come in that we're just not, you know, we should, yeah, shouldn't happen. Um, but also we, um, it, 
I'm trying to remember if this is actually relevant, but we had a student who uh, would talk about killing themselves on their social media. And that was really helpful to have that information that we wouldn't have had if I hadn't, you know, been following her or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so, and it was really helpful to be able to take that to her parents as well and say this, like, we're not just making this up or, you know, it's not just something that this student said in D group, that's like a trusted space, um, but they're like putting this out there. Um, and so I'm having a hard time remembering what the, oh yeah, what Willis was saying, like it's, um, we're not blind to the pastoral issues that are going on. Sometimes those, the social media will bring up, this is an issue that should be addressed immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and Lynn, while you're talking, I'd love for you to talk about uh, just cyberbullying a little bit. Um, I mean, that one of the bad aspects, obviously, of social media that uh, continues to be written about and, and discussed is is bullying. And you had mentioned just a, I guess we could say, form of, of bullying that was taking place uh, in your youth group. Why don't you share that? And then Charles and Willis, if you've seen kind of any issues in your student ministry, we'd love to hear those. Yeah, recently we, recently we had an issue with some students who hadn't been getting along for a couple of years. They're about the same age. And... <laughs> It's just, it's so shocking to me, this whole cyberbullying thing and how it can happen. Cause I think, oh my gosh, Satan is so creative in the way that he would make, you know, this, like he would use this. I wouldn't even think of something like this, but it's called, I think it's called poaching followers. And so what has happened, what had happened were two students followed another student just to trash talk that person to all of their followers. And then, you know, like try and steal their followers or what, which is so so crazy to me. And then got mad when that student unfollowed them. (laughs) So it was just, oh my gosh, how is this really happening? Um, But it was, it was really hurtful and really harmful. And of course it created a really unhealthy dynamic in youth group for a little while because these things were happening and it was, you know, like, well, how would you know that we were poaching that student's followers unless that student told you and tattled on you, you know, or whatever it was. It was a little difficult to navigate. And that student um, who was the victim of cyberbullying, which also, um, as I was like reading more articles over, it was like 60 something percent of students experience cyberbullying every week, which is just, I mean, that's so sad and devastating that it's so prevalent in their days. Um, and then it can be so sneaky like that. But we um, talked to both sets of parents and all of the students involved. And as sin normally does, <laughs> it also weaved its way in between those other two students who were in this together. And so um, it's it's been a bit of a mess. Um, but really, I think as kind of like throw away quote unquote as it could be but spiritual maturity really is the reason that that's kind of gone away because that student who was the victim decided not to feed into it and not to play into it um, which was a beautiful thing for those other students to see and experience Um, but that is something that we've had to address on a smaller level of like number one do you see how ridiculous this is and say that with gentle you know love however you can but also like is this who you want to be? Is this the kind of person you want to be? Is this a value to you? Um, stealing online followers. Is that who you want to be remembered as? Um, and so um, it was it was interesting to deal with um, in that sense, because it does feel like this isn't important at all, but it is to them. Um, so yeah, that was our experience. Uh, well, that, that sounds like a mess, but it's, it's encouraging to hear 
you get in the middle of that um, because it is, I mean, as we think social media, <laughs> everyone can see this, this is out there in front of everyone. And so since it's kind of, it's of a public nature to be dealing with it kind of in a public way, getting the parents involved and all that. I know that's a very messy um, situation, but it's encouraging that you got in the middle of that and, you know, pray the Lord continues to uh, work good things in, in the midst of that. Um, Charles Willis, any, any things coming to the surface as you think of bullying taking place kind of in your youth group or just uh, even uh, forms of bullying that you've heard about? Well, I think we've been fortunate. I'm not aware of anything inside of our, uh, our group. I'm sure there may, may have been that I'm just unaware of, uh, you know, there's been some, some slight slights here and there with, you know, I want to be part of this group and I can invite you to this particular you know, chat group that we have, that sort of thing, but nothing, nothing that would equate to a bullying that I, I don't think necessarily. Uh, Willis, how about you? Yeah. I mean, there's been some of those bullying things for sure, but I think probably the larger issue is what you just mentioned, Charles, just the, um, like how painful it is, especially for middle school girls, guys too, but especially girls to be left off of a group chat. Yeah. It's just as bad as not being invited to a party, yeah. you know? Um, and actually you mentioned a couple episodes ago, John, that Jonathan Haidt episode with Joe Rogan. And um, he just talked about how a lot of the violence, you know, the bullying that takes place, especially with girls, guys too, though, is, is that relational piece. And because they're executing relationships online, it happens there a lot. And so, you know, um, that it's really hard to like know how to disciple someone. It's hard to know how to pastor someone who's been left off of a group chat because you want to say like, hey, this is not a big deal. Like they actually are your friends. Look, because they invited you to this real life thing and they like are nice to you in real life. Um, but it is real, you know, and it, and we can't fix it because we don't control what those kids do. Um, and it is really, really psychologically painful. So, yeah, it's it's dicey out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the, the passage, and I always forget the reference uh, where it talks about inventors of evil. <laughs> um, it's just like social media has just <laughs> continued to illustrate that ways in which we can harm each other, be deceitful, be, you know, just, just wicked uh, to one another. It's, we are crafty uh, with our sin and we uh, do a lot of damage. Um, look, I want to ask and kind of move us towards uh, parents and, and how we can come alongside parents in this. I mean, from my experience, uh, many parents, not all parents, but many uh, just kind of give their children smartphones and access to social media platforms with very few guidelines. I mean, as we were talking of kind of dealing with parents, I can remember many times just uh, having Instagram and seeing what students were posting and thinking, this is borderline explicit. And me seeing it and then contacting their parents and saying, hey, just want you to know this is out there. Um, and there was, you know, awkwardness. Anytime you'd see that parent later, typically, hey, sorry, I'm bringing this up. But um, how do you seek to help parents think through this of kind of challenging them a little bit? You know, if they're just giving kind of unfettered access to the smartphone, are you able to do that? Are you having conversations? Um, who wants to start us off on this one? Anyone want to, to jump in? Um, everyone's reluctant. I'll, uh, Lynn, I'll Lynn wants to. Oh, Charles. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Lynn, take it away. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So our parents are awesome. And so I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And so they're, they're uh, almost all of them are very involved with their students' lives. That said, 
I do some exercises sometimes with those parents and I have them, I have them check certain things. I say, the first thing I have them check is their music list. Do you know what your, what your kids are listening to? Uh, and oftentimes they don't. And they'll take a look at the music list that they have and uh, they'll be shocked by what's in there. And then I'll have them go and eh, let's check out their, their Twitter or their, their Instagram just to see what's on there. Go in, go in through another account or just ask them to see, the, ask to see their phone. And oftentimes they're completely shocked by what's on there. Uh, and, and by doing that little, these little tests with these great parents, they, uh, they come to kind of understand like, wait a second, I can't give unfettered access. I can't just assume that they, they have it you know, figured out. Um, and then my conversation tends to go in a couple of different directions. The first direction it goes is I say, let's figure out if your son or daughter is a Christian. Uh, it, it, do they have the spiritual awareness to know what's good and what's bad? Or Satan might be attacking where they may not be. Uh, and most of the time, that's not, uh, they're not Christians. And so they don't have that spiritual awareness. They don't have the Holy Spirit living within them. They don't have the power really to fight that on their own. And then secondarily, uh, you know, where are they with their just general maturity? Uh, can, they, can they discern right from wrong? Uh, you know, they've got this gray matter that's still forming in their heads. <laughs> now we're putting them out in this unfettered world with a bunch of adults. Can they figure out what's right, what's wrong? Do they know when to get away, not to get away? Uh, those sort of, those sort of things. And uh, I think generally parents, they've thought through that, but I don't think they've thought through it at the level that, that say a youth worker has as we were kind of on this all day long. And so um, having the, helping them understand like you can't just give unfettered access. Um, you need to have some sort of monitoring device if you can. I always hear the pushback. Well, you know, this is what they're going to have in college. Well, they're 14. They got four years. <laughs> Let, let's, let's, let's have a gradual progression here of, of, of access. That's good. Uh, monitoring is a good thing. And let's say they can become a Christian at 17 or 18. Well, then they're going to be that much further along in terms of determining what's right and what's wrong in, in social media world. But we can't, we can't expect an unsaved 14 year old male. <laughs> I'll just use that example <laughs> to be able to discern what's right and what's wrong. Um, but I don't think parents, I think parents know that. Um, I think oftentimes parents don't know what's out there. And so it's, it's, Part of my job is, is educating the kids or care, their parents as to what's actually out there and the dangers that, that, that may be uh, waiting for their child out there without a real uh, ability to discern right from wrong or even to discern right from wrong and then actually remove themselves from the wrong. So, hmm. yes, yeah. Charles, that, that's good. Willis, what, what about you? How do you seek to kind of engage the parents and challenge them, push back, encourage all that? Yeah, um, I think by and large, uh, our parents are, they take a lot of ownership for the way their kids use online spaces, technology apps, and have come up with some really creative solutions that I didn't even know about, you know, which is cool to see. Um, well, as we give an example of what that, what do you mean by that? Like what an example of that? Yeah, well, this is super basic that y'all probably know about, but my kids are so young that, you know, Surprise, my two-year-olds don't have iPhones yet. <laughs> but just setting up the like the iPad or a different device with iCloud to where, you know, they uh, let their kids know, hey, just so you know, I'm going to be able to see every message you send. Uh, and then they actually have that separate device so they can send it. I think that's great. Like, it'd be weird, probably a little weird to do that without your kid knowing. <laughs> right? Like, this, that's kind of weird. Um, but the fact that their kid knows, like, there's just great accountability there. And um, so anyway, that's, that's a specific example. Um, also, for any of my parents who are listening, 
anything I share has to do, like I've heard this from multiple people. So don't think I'm talking about, I'm talking about, patterns. I just want to throw that out there. Um, Go ahead and give us names, Willis. I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, specifically uh, in terms of areas I've had to push back. I, I think no matter how wise and discerning and thoughtful parents are, uh, there's a generational difference. They're not digital natives in the way that these kids are. And so no matter what cool solutions you find that you think make that device or that app safe for your kid, um, you probably have more work to do because that kid is a digital native, you know, assuming that they've grown up in the way that most, most young people have, and they're more wily than you. And they're probably more sinful than you. (laughs) (laughs) They know how to navigate that device because all of their friends are teaching them, Mm -hmm. you know, for most of our students. And you better believe they're talking about how to get around whatever parental controls they have on their phone, you know? Mm-hmm. And so um, you, you really do have to go to, to somebody, you know, who has figured out, no, here's how to actually make this phone the way you want it to be. You know, here's how to, here's the specific apps that you should and should not allow. And obviously there's a ton of room for wisdom there. Parents need to make their own calls and kids are in different places with what they can handle and what they can't. Um, so that's not a prescription that every parents need to lock their phone, their kid's phone down hundred percent at all. It's just saying like, don't assume that just because you look at your kid's phone and think that it's like safe for them, that it actually is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Lynn, what about with you? We showed maybe a time is like, how long ago was that? So it must've been last year sometime. We showed the movie screenagers when that came out. Um, and it, uh, some parents had reached out to us asking, we need help with these things in addition to what we're already doing, which would be provide, you know, stocking or sending out resources of books and links and, and whatnot. And we have a, quite a number of people who are involved in the school system here. And that's really helpful to have that like, oh, they've got their finger on the pulse. They already know what's going on in the school system. So they also resource us so we can resource others, which is wonderful. But the thing is, <laughs> Um, when I was a teacher and uh, I'm sure there are lots of other examples of this, but when you had parent teacher night, it was the straight A student parents who came, you know, like the ones who you don't need to talk to mm-hmm. are the ones who show up. And so it was kind of like that at the the movie showing, um, unfortunately, unfortunately that we had parents show up, but it was the ones who were already imp- implementing good boundaries with their students or whose the students don't seem to have um, problems in that direction as of yet. And so um, trying to think of how we can creatively do that outside of, Hey, here's a movie we should watch. And that I should also mention for anybody who doesn't know that movie is not a, like a faith-based movie. It's an, it's just about information about how screens are affecting students or um, yeah, teenagers. Um, I haven't watched the social dilemma yet. Um, so, but I've heard that that's interesting and a good topic of discussion, uh, with students. But other than that, um, we try and send out Uh, links and resources and just have open conversations. Last summer, we did a discipleship Sunday school for parents and their, like for whole families. And I would take the students and John would take the adults and we would talk about the same topic, but in different ways, of course. And we spent a couple of weeks on technology and what that looks like. So really just trying to have those conversations. Um, And one, I think one blanket rule that we could probably I'll agree on that if a parent comes and says, well, what am I like, what are some suggestions that you have if I give my student a phone is, well, whenever, whatever age you give it to them, don't allow the phones in the bedrooms where you can't see things like just don't allow screens in the bedrooms. And I try and do that in my own life as well. Um, Whether it's because 
you know, they might have a hard time controlling what websites they look or like I can waste plenty of time in bed when I should be going to bed, just scrolling because I got lost, you know, and in that I'm like, Oh, visual. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's a blanket rule that I just, I always, I usually start with that. Of, well, just don't let them have it in their rooms. Um, and there are other lots of, I don't have children. Uh, and so I haven't had to be creative in that way yet. Um, please Lord Jesus. But um, so <laughs> can you edit that out, please? <laughs> just do that for um, um, but there'll be other problems, I'm sure by the time that happens. Um, uh, but yeah, that's one blanket rule uh, that we try and just give the, the parents to think from in that direction. And yeah, like create places where they can have conversations with parents who have been through that before. That's the greatest resource I can give them is, Hey, actually this parent's doing this well. Why don't you talk to them? Mm-hmm. And parents are so keen to share advice, right? Um, it does actually take a village. Um, and so we mm-hmm. try and resource our parents. I think the ones who take advantage of it are the ones who are already doing it well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, some, some great advice. Go ahead, Charles. Yeah. I was two things. I'm going to follow up on, on kind of what Lynn said, but also Willis uh, in terms of there being a generational gap. There is a generational gap. There's a generational gap between me and, and the students. They know far more than I will ever know, uh, even at age 12. Uh, one thing that I found to be helpful in this, I brought up the music thing earlier. Parents understand media. They don't understand social media as well. Uh, and so what I'll try to do is compare the media to the social media. And, and that's why I have the, have the uh, parents take a look at what media is now, uh, namely music. If you look at the top 40 list, 80% has explicit words in it. Um, and most parents don't know that, uh, but they know, they know music and they know their kids download music. And uh, so they understand that. You look at, with, uh, at movies and what their kids are watching, you know, understanding exactly what they're watching there. They understand movies. They may not understand what's on the movie, you know, in the movie theater necessarily. So helping them see this is what your kids are choosing. They're choosing them wisely here uh, based upon what we've seen. Do you think they're, they're choosing wisely on social media? And then I try to try to help them understand what, what's going on in social media. Well, adults, are they responsible on social media? No. Are Christian adults responsible on social media? Mostly no. I mean, just look at the election cycle. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and yet we expect these, these kids to be responsible on these social media platforms. So helping them under, you know, take, taking a realm that they understand or a, a maneuver that they would typically maneuver with. And then help them understand that, wait a second, we're, we're throwing a 13-year-old, 14-year-old, even a 15-year-old into these waters that uh, they may not have thought through uh, at least greatly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's helpful perspective for sure to take something that they're kind of familiar with and then try to apply it to, to where their students are. And as you, you're bringing up, I mean, we know as adults, we all struggle uh, with social media. And if that's true of adults, just think of the struggles for preteens and teenagers. I mean, this is a powerful device, powerful platforms uh, that we we just have to be aware of as we put it into these these young children's hands. So I don't think that can be overstated, the, the power of, of that. And so look, I know we need to, to draw this to a close. There is one question that I, I got from a youth worker in Pennsylvania that I was just going to throw out to each of you and we can um, maybe have some concluding comments and then wrap things up. Uh, he writes, with virtual learning getting a boost in use and people of all ages needing to be online more, how do we help our students and teens steward their use of technology while also knowing what healthy fasting or breaks are uh, from it? So how can we encourage parents to kind of implement these boundaries as, as well as students? So again, just as we're all thrown onto Zoom because of uh, you know this pandemic that we're going through, 
Um, and so there's just a boost of people utilizing these devices. How do we help our students uh, steward their use of technology? What are maybe conversations you're having with your students about stewarding technology as, as well as parents? Who wants to jump in on this question? Willis, how about you? <laughs> okay, yeah. With parents, um, yeah, I've had so many conversations just about the difficulty, not only of their parenting practice, parenting students who are in their house. Um, we have a lot of students who are either virtual only or partially virtual for school. So that's hard being a parent you know, in that environment. It's also hard for their student and it's hard for them to parent their kid as a student. Um, and so a lot of the conversations are just trying to encourage them with like, just because it's really hard doesn't mean you're a bad parent <laughs> or that your kid is a bad student. It means <laughs> we were not meant to learn and change and grow through a computer screen. Sorry. So yeah, it's going to be hard and there's grace for you in that. And you need to have grace for your child in that. And when you mess up, apologize and be the chief repenter in your house and kind of have like lower the bar a little bit from like, Maybe my kid's not going to thrive and like be a straight A student, but like if we can kind of get through this and survive and <laughs> dropping out of school, we've won, you know, seriously. Like, I told my wife that last night. Was that? <laughs> I told my wife that last night. There you go. We need that reminder. Yeah. And with, with students, I, I don't know. I, I kind of get it. Like when you've been on the screen all day, you kind of want to go and do what you want to do on a screen the rest of the day which is just super unhealthy, but mm -hmm. I get it. Uh, I think one of the blessings of trying to do more things outdoors because there's less disease transmission out there is that a lot of the stuff, more of the stuff that we've been doing as a student ministry is outside. I've gone on more runs with students during the pandemic than ever before, which, you know, to be able to get a student who's kind of feeling anxious or depressed, mm -hmm. uh, overloaded with school, out in the sunshine running, even if we don't talk about Jesus, that's a win. You know, not to mention the relational thing that happens there in person. Mm -hmm. So I guess I'm trying to kind of lead in that um, and play a lot of spike ball outside, a lot of kickball, you know. Um, but no, I don't have a silver bullet for students specifically who really do just want after they log off of school to open up the phone or the game or whatever. Like, mm -hmm. that's hard. Uh, that's a lot of helpful thoughts there. Charles, what about you? Hey, Jen, can you repeat the question? Yeah, just how are we helping our students kind of steward their technology use? I mean, since they're all on screens more with education, all of that, how, how can you help them steward their usage? Yeah, I think the question that I try to pose to the students all the time, uh, this is before COVID days, but certainly during COVID days, is, you know, the, the command to make the best use of our time, Colossians 4 or 5, right? It's, uh, we, we need to understand that our, that our time is short and our mission is clear. Uh, as regards to the gospel, now, now, granted, some of these kids are not are not Christians. Um, nonetheless, I want to call them to that type of thought, and so uh, help them see like every minute of every day has an important uh, aspect to it. There's a purpose for it. Now, this is what the Lord would desire for that that minute of your life, for this hour of your life. Um, whether or not you want to engage it or not, that's a different question. But just for them to know that there's a purpose to it. And so, this purpose for school is to to raise them up in the knowledge of of, of very important things. Um, and to, you know, use their capacities that God has given them to the greatest advantage possible for his glory. But then when they get done, you know, those, those minutes and those hours have, have purpose too. You know, how are they treating others? How are they serving others? How are they, how are they then living with eternity in mind? So I'll go to 2 Corinthians 4.18. How, how are you living with eternity 
in mind. And granted, some of these students obviously are not, are not Christians. And so it's kind of a foreign concept to them, but I want them to be thinking in that, in that particular way, knowing that every minute has an eternal value to it. Uh, and then we want to be thinking, how can we use this particular moment in a particular way that honors Jesus? And, and is it, is watching a, a movie or, you know, being on social media, is that the best way we could use that particular uh, moment of time? Maybe, especially if I'm encouraging others on social media, I don't think it's likely that you are. But if you are, go, go for it. If not, could there be other ways in which you use that time uh, for God's glory? Good. Lynn, what about you? I was um, talking with a student today and uh, we came around to the question of, well, if you didn't have a screen, how would you be spending that time? Mm. Right? Like just even thinking about that question is like, oh, well, I've never really thought like what I would be doing without my screen, you know? And um oh. I think that's a good question for parents to start with. If they're like, do something off of your screen. It's like, well, you know, when you start talking about Sabbath, if you don't know how your soul feels rejuvenated, then you're not even going to know how to start Sabbathing, right? Except for what scripture tells you, which is a great place to start. Um, <laughs> but uh, that was a good question that I thought we came around to like, well, how would you, yeah. How would you be spending this time if you don't, if you didn't have a screen, right? Um, my dad's a doctor and also just even finding out about the health effects of being on a screen and having your earbuds in all day. That was really informative. And I think one of the things of like, well, you don't know, unless you know, um, that for every, I think they say 25 minutes that you have earbuds in, you should be having them out for five minutes because it'll mess up your hearing. And of course we know the detriments of the screen on just the eyes. So those things are something to have conversations about of like, it's not that I'm going to be a terrible person and tell you just not to be on your screen because I want you to not be on your screen, but I'm trying to protect your eyes and your hearing and your growth as a human being. Um, and another um, point is to remember that they are kids, right? We're talking about children who don't know things until we teach them. And they, it would do a lot of people a great service if we all learned how to be unentertained, right? Mm -hmm. Like how do I hand, like, you don't have to be entertained. How do you handle that? <laughs> right? Like <laughs> it's not, well, I'm going to be bored. Is that the worst thing that you be bored? I don't think so. Right. So, um, that's something that I don't think we entertain a lot. It's like, well, what are they going to do if they don't, you know, do this or this or this, even when you're talking about schedules with students, like I'm so busy all the time. I've got to be busy. I've got to be busy. Otherwise I'm bored. Well, what is that? That's not really the worst thing. Um, that's something that I like to encourage parents to talk about, um, and, and, and implement because their kids are going to complain, right? Like, I mean, I complain sometimes when I'm bored, but just thinking like, Hey, just, just practice being still learn, learn what that's like. That's a good thing. Um, and those boundaries and whatnot, it's good to have a discussion with students, right? Whatever it looks like, it's good to invite them into that discussion instead of just saying, I mean, parents get the ultimate call. Let me be clear. Parents get the ultimate call, but just saying, Hey, what do you think would be a good boundary for you? Let's talk about that. What, what do you think if you already spend eight hours a day on it in school, what do you think would be a good boundary um, for you to have some screen time, but also for us to feel like we are reining that in? Um, so those are just some of the conversations, especially if, like we said earlier, students feel like they already spend too much time on their screens. They're, that's them saying, I need help regulating this because we're children, right? Like mm -hmm. we're learning how to do those things. Um, so those are just some of the ways. Um, John, are we going to get to the, uh, when we talked about some of the questions about, I'm the only one or everybody else has a phone. Are we going to have time for that? 
I'll let you kind of address that because I know we're kind of running close to time. So, oh, okay. um, but please, why, why don't you go ahead and address that? Because we did get another question of, okay, what about the parents dealing with, okay, um, my child's the only one uh, without uh, a phone. Okay, what, what kind of advice? And if anyone wants wants to jump in on that. Again, I want to be sensitive to everyone's time as well. So um, yeah, go for that, Lynn. Yeah. And you fellows feel free to say anything. Um, I was just, I was really praying about that and thinking, yeah, what is a, because it's not a good response really, right. It's not a satisfactory response when you just say, I don't care if everybody has a phone, you know, I'm not everybody else's mom, whatever that is like, that doesn't really work out. And I was just thinking about how will that conversation play out in the rest of their lives, right? I'm the only one who goes to church. I'm the only one who's not having sex before marriage. I'm the only one who doesn't have a boyfriend and there's a middle school dance, right? Like how are you, you, it, you have to be able to talk to them about, again, being the only one, the only one to not have something or to have something that's a good conversation that can lead into the other things of how are you going to handle this when you're the only one at the party, not smoking or not drinking, right? Like let's learn about, um, it just translate into a lot of other behaviors. Right. And I know that there's the idea of delay, 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 right? Like don't get them a phone until you really have to right? or don't give them any screens until you really have to. Um, but, maybe something we should be doing is discuss, 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 right? Like let's actually have these conversations um, and see how it translates into other things. So that's the only thought that I really had about, I'm the only one who doesn't have a phone. Um, and specifically with girls, parents who are listening, who have girls, like please engage them in the conversation of I'm, you know, the only one who's not posting these kinds of photos or, you know, talk to them about sexual integrity on their social media. And I think, <laughs> A conversation that surprises a lot of my girls when I have it is you don't get to control your audience. Like, I know you want that boy that you like to see this photo of you, but do you know that your pastor also sees that photo or that your grandpa could also see that photo? Like they forget that they don't get to just say, oh, these are the people who can look at this photo. And when you think about that, like, or even the way you dress, like when you walk down the street, it's not just the the cute boy who's your neighbor who sees you walking down the street that postman sees you, that dad sees you, your little brother, right? All of these things that there's just so much that our students aren't thinking about because they're focused on themselves, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, that was my only thought about, I'm the only one. Well, that conversation is going to be had hopefully a lot more in a lot of other ways. And it's, I don't really have an answer for what you should tell them, but talking about it, and this is how you handle being the only one is a good place, I think. That's great. And I mean, really, that's just the call of the Christian life, right? I mean, we're going to be in the world, not of the world. We're going to look different from, from everyone in so right. many ways. And so that definitely should apply to our you know, device usage, social media platforms, all that. Charles Willis, do you guys want to speak to that as far as a student being the only one without a device or whatever, and a parent maybe kind of engaging on that? What What's, what's some words there? Yeah, I think it's really cool to be the only one together with somebody else. Like to your point, Lynn, it's so true. Like there, you know, to follow Jesus faithfully is to be the odd man out, odd woman out throughout your life in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's going to be just you alone, but there's unique opportunities to be the odd one out with another, you know, like a lot of our students, not a lot, but there's groupings, small groupings of students that go to the same school. And um, I would love, like one of the things we try to do with our small groups is help them follow Jesus 
together in their school. So yes, they will still be a minority in their class if they don't have a phone. Um, but there's something really valuable if they both don't have a phone at the same time, you right. know, even if they're not best friends, just have that one other person to kind of, you know, they're not the only one. Mm-hmm. Um, only other thought is, um, I think it's probably easy as a Christian parent to subtract a lot of things from your kid's life, um, whether or not they want to subtract it, you know, hopefully at a certain point, they're willing to like say, no, I'm not going to do this of my own accord. But mm-hmm. what about the addition? Like if, if your kid is going to suffer real social relational loss by not having a phone, you know, maybe you can throw a party, you know, every semester or something that's actually really fun, you know, who they get to invite who they want. Or um, just things like that to where, you know, you're moving toward them and actually helping them in the real um, in the real struggles of building community and relationships in America, which is actually really hard with or without a phone. So what do you think, Charles? Yeah, uh, this is a real issue. Uh, I have had so many conversations uh, with parents and they say the only reason they got their kid a phone was because everybody else had a phone. Mm-hmm. And it was like, am I talking to the child or the parent here? You know? <laughs> but I know I fall in the same, I say I fall in the same problem as well, getting my kids toys. So I'm, I'm, I'm not any better. Um, yeah, I think in some ways, and you guys mentioned this, it's, it's a great opportunity to, to explain that we are, we are, as Christians, we are aliens. We are sojourners and strangers on this, on this earth. Um, and we're going to look different from the rest of the world. And how, how much easier it is to talk about a social media device as opposed to, you know, homosexuality or some of the other things that are going to run into later on in life. If we can draw a line right now with a device or with the thing that they, de- they desire a lot and to show like, no, we do these things differently. We even do these differently than other Christians because we're, more, mm-hmm. we're concerned about this particular aspect of our witness. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, going into those, those ideas of like, how best can we use our time? Is this the best way we can use our time? Uh, because we're called to do a lot of different things with our lives as aliens and as strangers, right? We're called to encourage the saints, to build each other up, to bring hope to the hopeless, to show God's love to those who don't know it, to proclaim the gospel. We got a, some, we got a lot of stuff to do. We don't, have, we don't have time to mess with this stuff. We got people are dying in this world. And so, you know, like, like there's an urgency here of the gospel that we can't be wasting our time with this stuff. That's why we do it. We're aliens and strangers because we know there's a, there's a greater hope out there. And we've got, we've got work to do, you know, mm-hmm. so helping them understand, have the conversation now with regard to this, and that will make the, I think, the later conversations about far more difficult topics when they get to high school and college, uh, and even post-college, uh, about what it means to actually be a Christian and, and live a life that looks different from the world. Yeah, a lot of good thoughts. I know these will be a blessing to the listeners, wherever they are, whichever context. I know there's just a common thread of issues that that everyone's dealing with, wrestling with. And so, Charles, Willis, Lynn, I appreciate the, the three of you taking time out to come on and to engage in this discussion to help uh, each of us think about this. And uh, hopefully this will be a blessing to others. So appreciate it. Hope you all have a good day. Thank you all. It's been fun. Bye. Yeah, thank you guys. Bye, guys. Oh, come and buy without money.